Welcome inside the lab at Formula 4 Media. I am Bob McGee, and today I have the pleasure to speak for a few minutes with W. Andrew Martin, Managing Director of Baird in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Mr. Martin focuses on capital markets and M&A services in the consumer sector, with a particular focus on sports and leisure, footwear, and apparel. Prior to Baird, Mr. Martin was a director in consumer mergers and acquisitions for Ocovia, where his high-profile assignments involved VF Corp, Oakley, Shimano, Timberland, Jardin Corp, and others. Uh, prior to that, he worked in the European corporate finance practice for Lehman Brothers in London. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Martin. And uh, off the publication of, the, of a 92-page report from Baird about what buyers value in the changing consumer sector, I just want to ask you a few questions on the analysis as it pertains to the outdoor sports uh, footwear and apparel segments. So first off, with fewer than three months before 2018 commences, what is the M&A climate in these segments like today, and what are a few of the most important considerations for a company looking to merge or be acquired? Sure. Uh, really, you know, we continue to be in an absolute uh, sort of perfect storm of M&A activity across the enthusiast-branded world. As, as you mentioned, we spend a lot of time in everything from sporting goods to outdoor recreation to the sportsman world of hunting and fishing all the way through to apparel and footwear for those pursuits. And we've really been in a tremendous run since the downturn of M&A activity as well as raising of capital for these brands. It's been incredibly favorable to sellers and entrepreneurs who are reaping tremendous valuations uh, and terms that go along with those transactions from a whole host of sources. And uh, what we've seen is there's just a tremendous amount of capital on the sidelines that is looking to be deployed. I'd say the depth of interest in the consumer branded world has expanded tremendously, not only over the last seven to eight years, but also probably over the last 15 to 20, and just keeps getting broader. And uh, that can come from corporate interest where uh, large corporations and consolidators are trying to find growth vehicles as well as brands that reach new audiences. It can come from traditional private equity firms where we've seen a lot more openness to invest in areas that are branded, which in the past they may have been concerned about fashion risk or trends. And then we've also seen new elements like venture capital firms trying to get into these companies earlier, particularly as things like direct-to-consumer and social media become more prominent, as well as more sophisticated family offices uh, that are looking to deploy capital, particularly for folks who have high net worth that have been in the consumer markets previously. So there's a tremendous depth. There's a lot of activity. I would say the market that we're in today, there are things that folks diligence a lot more seriously than maybe they did three or four years ago. Most notably, what is the direct strategy of any particular brand? How do they communicate with their consumer when the traditional retail model is being disrupted as much as it is? But it's still, at the end of the day, a tremendously favorable time. Uh, sellers are getting great uh, outcomes, and we don't expect that to change in the next, sort of, call it six to 18 months as we get into 2018. Secondly, I'd like to ask you about the analysis in the report from Baird shows that the majority of M&A deals studied were in North America in between $100 and $300 million. Why were the most in that medium range? Any particular reason? Sure. You know, that really is the, the sweet spot, particularly in branded consumer. When you think about the landscape for large corporates, uh, even the biggest players in our world uh, aren't that large. I mean, Nike, great business, big company. There are not too many others that are of that size. You even get down to you know, businesses like Adidas and BF uh, or the, the Newell's when you look at specifically their outdoor division or Vista Outdoors. The big corporates in this world typically are only a handful of billion dollars where you compare that to healthcare and industrial 
the businesses are much larger. And so, you know, frankly, when you look at what businesses they're trying to buy or private equity is trying to buy, you often end up with the volume or the height of the bell curve, if you will, being right there in that, call it 100 to 300 million range. We've seen definitely transactions get sort of 500 to a billion. There's a good volume there. But definitely in this world, what we find is there's a certain amount of investors and strategic interests that likes businesses that may be 25 to 50 to 100 million in revenue or transaction value. But where the real depth of interest lies is when those brands, whether it's an equipment company, an accessories company, or apparel and footwear, really starts to get in that value range, like you mentioned, of 100 to 300. That's where all the interest sort of comes together from all those different sources, and you have a real sort of competition for the best assets. And so when you think about just companies in general and consumer, what size are they? That's right where it is, and that also meets where the investor appetite is. The Baird Report also outlines various alternatives in the M&A market for founder-owned and entrepreneurial companies. What is the route most often taken and least taken and why? Well, there's a lot more flexibility out there today. And you know what we would say is for founders and entrepreneurs, you know, even down to the earlier stages of the life cycle, when someone may be getting double-digit growth rates could be right out of the gate from a strong idea or strong product, there's a much deeper appetite today for venture capital and minority capital, uh, where that didn't exist as strongly in consumer five, 10 years ago. That's where people like the venture capital firms, like uh, some sophisticated family offices and even private equity are coming in, where you're seeing stakes of call it 20, 30, 40% being sold to a minority investor for both new capital to invest in the business, as well as to give the founders some liquidity. And that is a transaction where they can get a more sophisticated Board. They can invest in new initiatives, be it around product, be it around social media or direct marketing, or around marketing more broadly. And that is providing a lot of resources to entrepreneurs at the earlier stages of companies, which is tremendous because they need it in order to compete, in order to have that direct relationship with their consumer. So that's been a new trend. And you know, frankly, the valuations and the terms that the best brands are getting in that context are very good. Yeah, there is always deep appetite for the majority sale. Uh, where they're either selling, call it the majority of the equity in a business or selling outright 100%. That typically would be the dynamic with a corporate buyer where there continues to be interest to find those next great assets to put in their portfolio. And then there's a huge wealth and it seems to expand every day of the private equity universe who's willing to look at branded consumer come in, allow the sellers to still hold a stake, hope that, frankly, uh, they stay on as a management team because there is a real dearth of management talent in these markets and partner with them that even though they may own 70, 80%, still have the original founders as partners and owners leading up to an eventual exit, which might be the corporate buyer or it might be even an initial public offering where the equity markets have still been favorable for branded consumer, depending on what area of the world you're playing. But you tend to have all the options available to you from raising capital to selling a majority to selling outright to we're seeing more and more IPOs, which is a, a great trend to see. Could you talk briefly about the loyalty to brands today in these particular segments that you follow and how building a brand today is different than say it was 20 to 25 years ago due to the rise of social media? Well, the days are gone, and it doesn't seem like it was too long ago that uh, we were in a much more traditional setting where 
you know, frankly, you had traditional marketing either through print or through uh, TV. You had a lot of dependence on traditional retail. So if it was sporting goods, it'd be, you know, what would Dick Sporting Goods be featuring? If it was outdoor, what would REI be featuring, et cetera? And the consumer really relied on those sources in order to make their decisions. What we found in the last sort of two years is a sea change as this, the younger consumer becomes much more educated and much more facile with all that's available to them uh, online, as well as the fact that they are communicating and expect eating a relationship with these brands on social media, uh, where they speak to them, where they represent a lifestyle that they either choose to participate in or to ignore. Brands have to be incredibly adept at having that constant communication with their consumer, where they're telling them new things, coming out with new products, really trying to reflect the lifestyle their target consumer wants to live. And they also have to be exceptionally careful uh, not to trip over any landmines because one post, one featuring of their product in the wrong place can cause a tremendous amount of disruption in the life cycle and growth of a brand. And so it's a much more tenuous world that we live in if you're trying to operate a brand that represents a lifestyle. And you have to recognize that you've got to have that direct dialogue with your consumer, both to educate them as well as to sell the product. You still do have to have some understanding of where are the best places to put your product if you so choose in traditional retail, because we're seeing retailers go out of business. So which are the best ones to partner with? And you know, overall, you've got to be a pretty vertically integrated operation across a lot of these sectors in order to succeed because the barriers to entry for someone new to come in with a good product, but a great way to connect with the consumer uh, can happen overnight when in the past it would have taken a lot more time, a lot more investment in order to build those relationships with retailers, spend the money on marketing. Frankly, with social media today, you can get that impact within a few months. And so it's a much faster changing landscape. The product cycles are shorter. The dependence on traditional retail is a lot less. And so people have to react very quickly and they have to have constant caution to make sure that their consumer is always understanding and appreciating what they're doing. Um, And so finally today, Mr. Martin, I was wondering if you could address the impact of private label in the sports footwear apparel segments today, more or less important than other categories than it had been in the past. Well, you know, the, the nature of private label in a lot of ways is changed because it's not just sort of Dick's or REI coming out with their own house brand. That's still very much a factor. You're going to see the retailers that survive depend on their own brands more because that's something differentiated that they have that, frankly, the consumer can't go find on Amazon. And so I think the private label quality and reputation and the marketing that goes around that within the traditional retail world uh, will be enhanced, or at least they will try to. When you see Ed Stack at Dick's say, that he wants to reduce vendors down to a much smaller number. Uh, That also comes along with a greater emphasis on his own brands. Uh, When you see Johnny Morris combine Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, where he has always been a very strong supporter of his own brands, in traditional retail, private label is going to become more and more prominent. You also have to worry about the dynamic that Amazon in other sectors, not as much in sports, but you see a tremendous amount of attention on what they will do in apparel. But it can go to any category, frankly, they feel they could have an advantage by having their own brand. And they have so much market power that the online players, not just Amazon, but also folks like Backcountry, can ultimately control a large amount of the consumer's attention with their own products. And so private label, because of this dynamic in the channel, is going to to evolve into a much more prominent place. 
And, you know, frankly, if you're not one of the best two or three brands in any given category of apparel, footwear, equipment, or accessories, you really do risk being crowded out because there's going to be a certain percentage of each segment that is likely going to have a strong private label component, both in traditional retail as well as online. Thank you very much for your insights today, Mr. Martin. You've been listening to Inside the Lab at Formula 4 Media. Uh, This is Bob McGee.